so make a short of it. We're reading through the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at uh, and sermons based on what it is that we've been reading that week. And this week we're looking at uh, John uh, chapter 7, and it's this discussion that Jesus is having with the people around him. Now, what, what leads into this discussion to him saying, if anyone is thirsty, uh, come to me and I will give him living water. Uh, what's led up to this at the beginning of the chapter, or the first part of the chapter, is Jesus talking to them, and everyone is kind of upset at him. And the reason why they're upset is because he healed this guy, and it happened to be on the Sabbath. And that kind of rubbed everyone the wrong way. Everyone kind of thought, well, the Sabbath needs to be, um, you know, uh, set aside, but here we're doing this healing, and it just sort of struck them as maybe there was something wrong going on here. And Jesus has said, well, what's going on when you're going down through this line of thinking is, is you guys are all trying to kill me. Why are you trying to kill me? Just because I did this, this one thing happened on the Sabbath. And he says, first of all, there's no reason why you should be judging because you can't be judging for breaking the law when you yourself are breaking the law. And secondly, this isn't breaking the law. Even the law itself says things will be done on the Sabbath. So there's room for things like healing to be done on the Sabbath because even the law prescribes things like circumcising someone on the Sabbath. And so the backdrop to Jesus saying this is this festival. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, the festival that they're talking about is the Feast of the Booths. And what the Feast of the Booth is, is them remembering that God had brought them out of Egypt, they had lived in tents, and then brought them into the promised land, and now they have houses, they have this life, they have a certain sense of security, they have something, because God was with them this entire time. And it's this celebration, but also sort of a remembrance that God is with them, and that they need God's salvation. And so, in the midst of all of this, this sort of religious idea about what, what's religion, about the church, about the temple is there, uh, about their nation. This was about them being a nation. And, and as they thought about all these things, it was causing them to have this disagreement with Jesus to the extent that now they were trying to kill Jesus. But they didn't necessarily all think they were trying to kill Jesus. They didn't realize that they did all vote to kill Jesus later on. But they didn't really see the connection that Jesus was making, that all this that they're doing is leading them to kill the Savior that God's bringing. And when Jesus says this, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, he said in a loud voice. Let anyone, uh, whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. John says, look, what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about this moment that we read earlier when we went through Acts 3 of when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. And so he was talking about that moment, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying is, 
in the midst of this whole discussion, he says, look, believe in me and receive the Holy Spirit. Believe and receive. Now, he's saying it in the context of everyone there believed that they needed a Savior. This whole discussion that they're having is them remembering, and we're going to read about it in a second, but it's all about them knowing that they need a Savior, wondering what that Savior, looking for that Savior. It's not like he's saying something that they don't agree with. They agree they need a Savior. They would say they need a Savior. They would say all this discussion that they're having is about them needing a Savior. And they know that they need God in their life. That's what the temple was. It was God in their life. They know that they, they even understood the concept of the Holy Spirit, that this was coming. What Jesus points to is, it's not a direct quote, but it's talking about the subject of this in Isaiah. And, and Isaiah makes it very clear. He says, look, God's saying, I'm going to send you a Redeemer because there's no other Savior. It's the only thing, is what Isaiah was saying. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, you know you need a Savior. You know that you are receiving gifts from God. You know that you need to be able to receive God into our lives, and we need God willing to be in our lives. We know all that, but you keep adding in all these other things, and all these other things that you add in, in addition to that, is causing you to try and kill me. And not just kill me, but kill off that message. Kill off that message, which he defines as believing that we need a Savior and that we need God in our life. It, all these other things work against that to kill it off in our life. So that in effect, even though we would say we need a Savior and we need God in our life, that's not really what we're talking about anymore because these other things have taken over and have led us in this other direction towards destruction. And you don't, we won't admit it, but that's where it's going. And time proves that to be true. And so what Jesus is saying to us in the middle of this big religious festival, in the middle of the temple, in the middle of everyone pursuing God, in the middle of everyone talking about uh, serving God, and, and all of these types of things. He says, look, the only thing that's going to make a map, make a difference, the difference that we need, is only looking at believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. That's it. There's nothing else. And to look at anything else leads us down the path of just trying to kill people. And we don't believe it. We think, well, there's other things that are good. It's actually leading us down a good path. We're able to help people with these other things. No, no, no. You're not helping me by killing me. You're not helping other people by killing other people. Well, we're not trying to kill them. We do. So Jesus is actually saying something different. That What's he saying that's different? is not that we need a Savior. Everybody in Jerusalem realized that. And whether you believe in God or not, everybody knows. I mean, it's kind of just, how could you be reasonable and not know that we need to be saved in some sort of way? You know, if you don't believe in God, whatever it is, we, we need to be saved. And we need God in our life. But he says, it's about 
only holding to those things, when we only hold to those things and don't add these others, that will make a difference. And so how is it that that makes a difference? We have to look and see how it played out in this conversation. It says, on hearing these words, on hearing his words, uh, they heard it, the words, but they weren't necessarily listening to it. It just says they heard the words. Karen, sometimes we'll get in discussions and she will say something. And she goes, you're not listening to me. And then I have this thing that I think is funny, which isn't all that funny. I just repeat back to her everything that she said. It, it's not a funny thing, but I mean, sometimes it's funny. But what is, hearing the words and being able to repeat them has nothing to do with listening. <laughs> you can hear words, but not be listening. And he says, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. And others say, he is the Messiah. Now in Acts, when we read through it, uh, Peter makes clear that who they're referring to, that when they say prophet, what they're referring back to is Moses. When God told Moses, look, or Moses says, God will raise up for you another prophet who will be like me. And they've been waiting for this person. They could see that the Bible's talking about this person, the prophet, who's going to be like Moses. In what sense? Moses brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. There will be a prophet who will do that type of thing, but, but not something that ends with death. But he will bring us out of enslavement to our sin and bring us into eternal life. Moses was just a picture of what Jesus is going to do for us for all of eternity. But they saw it as something different than that person. There was something sort of, yes, they did believe that that would happen, but there was something else that happened, and they're thinking that's what the prophet was. In other words, there was something in addition to and, and Peter makes it clear on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes that, no, there, there is nothing else. It's the same thing. In other words, they thought that they had an understanding about things, that they saw the words and they understood, and then they were, thought they were having a reasonable conversation about that, but they weren't having a reasonable conversation about it because they didn't understand. So how is it that Peter understood, but they didn't understand? It wasn't education because they kept saying about Jesus and about the disciples, these are uneducated people. How is it that they can understand these things? The key isn't you know, being educated to understand. that There's something different. The difference is, is who is listening and who is not. And if we're not listening, why is it we're not listening? We think we're listening, but why is it we're not listening? And he says, still others said, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Galilee was a, uh, something that like a, 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 it was kind of a racial slur. It was people that they viewed as being connected. Uh, they, they talked with a certain the way they said things in a certain way, you could tell that they were from Galilee and people looked down on people from Galilee. They looked at them as being sort of uneducated or not really a part of uh, people that 
uh, you know, you would expect anything good to come from. That was discriminatory, what they're saying there. It's just, it's just flowing out of their language. That's one of the problems. A lot of times when we, you know, have a disrespectful view of someone, we won't listen. But one way or another, why just repeating back words is so disrespectful? Because not listening is disrespectful. One of the reasons why we don't listen is we're not respecting people. And you can see that all around you. You don't need the Bible to tell you that. No one's listening to anybody. And the reason why no one's listening to anyone, because everyone is so ingrained in a disrespect for everyone. But he says, does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants from Bethlehem? If they had looked into it, they would have seen what, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. If they had asked, they just assumed. Well, why is it where no one listens? Because we're just going around assuming all this stuff about anyone, but no one's bothering to ask anyone about anything. Most of the time when I read through the Bible, the first part, I just have all these assumptions, and then I start thinking, oh, this is what God's saying. But then when I start asking God and start looking through it, I realize when I start listening, listening is about asking and talking and asking God, what's going on? As we read through the Bible, it's not just being able to repeat the words, but just start asking God, what's going on here? What, what are you saying, God? And he says, Thus the people were divided because of Jesus, and some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And it says, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? They had been sent with a task. The task was bring Jesus in, but they ended up not doing that task. They ended up deciding that that was the wrong task. And they left it. And why did they decide that they were wrong in that task, that they shouldn't do it? They say, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. In other words, the, the interesting thing there is spoke is chatted. It's like the way you talk with a friend. It's like the way God talked with Moses face to face as one talks to a friend. That they saw that Jesus wasn't just teaching at them. He was talking to them as one talks to a friend. And they realized maybe we don't, shouldn't grab this guy, and they didn't. And there was something powerful about what they heard once they started listening. If they hadn't been listening, they would have just grabbed him. But they ended up listening. And when they listened, they changed course. Then it says, the Pharisee said, why didn't you bring him in? And, and then they said, uh, he says, no one ever spoke the way this man did. And then 47, you mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. See, they couldn't admit that they were wrong. And if we can't admit, or we can't even entertain the possibility that we are wrong, then it's going to be impossible for us to listen. And if we can't listen, there's no way we can understand. And if we can't understand, there's no way we can proceed rationally. 
we keep thinking that we can rationally proceed through life without ever contemplating the fact that we could be wrong. And then we keep wondering why this always separates us out from everyone, causes all this problem, puts us on this road to kill, because we're not rationally proceeding. And the reason why we're not is because we don't understand. And the reason why we don't understand is because we're not willing to listen. And the reason why we're not willing to listen is because we can't entertain the possibility that we could be wrong. You can't listen unless you're willing to entertain that we could be wrong. And so how is it that believing in Jesus, believing that we need a savior, if that's just what we're looking at, how will that make a difference in our life? It should be that we're going into everything realizing I'm messed up. That's it. I'm messed up and I need a savior. If that's it, you know, if right and knowing right and wrong, I don't need to be right or wrong in order for someone else to save me. That's the point of someone else saving me. If it depends on me being right, wrong, that's me saving myself. But if the only hope of salvation is God coming in and saving me, even though I am wrong, and we know that God loves us and cares for us and has come down and is saving us, even though we're messed up, even though we're wrong, that's a starting place that should make a difference in our life. But when we add in all this other stuff, it moves away from that. But if we were just looking at that, what would that do? Every interaction that we have with someone, every disagreement would start with, I don't know, I'm pretty messed up. I could be wrong here. And if I can be wrong, maybe I should listen to what this person has to say. And when I listen, to what they say, maybe it'll help me understand what they're saying. And if I understand, then maybe reason can kick in. But outside of that, reason doesn't, there, there is no application for reason outside of that. And that's the way it is for God. When we're reading through the Bible, the hope is that God is talking to us, will talk to us face-to-face -face as one speaks to a friend. That's what we're coming to. And we can talk to God and ask him, and God will open it up. And as we open it up, as we, that's why it all starts with us being willing to repent for our sins. That changes things. How? Because then we'll start listening to God, because he's our hope for a Savior. And as we listen, we'll understand. And as we understand, then there's, we can have some sort of rational discussion, reason about it. It says, this is the last part. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. And Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, what did Nicodemus do when he came earlier? He came and he said, what's going on? I, what, what, are you, you know, what are you doing? What are you saying? I don't really understand. There's all this conflict. People are saying this and this and that. But you know, instead of just going down this road, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you, Jesus, what's going on? And that's what we should be doing when we're reading. It's not just hearing what everybody else has to say, but come to God come to Jesus and just say, what's going on here? What's happening? That's what Nicodemus did. And when he came, he heard, he didn't necessarily understand, 
but he understood enough to say this, does not our law, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? He says, look, how can we condemn? How, how can we rationalize if we're not even willing to hear, if we don't even know? What was the problem with the Pharisees? They replied, are you from Galilee? Again, that disrespect. Look into it and, and see that you will not find a pro that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And they all went to their own home. When it says, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? What they're talking about is the ruling or educated class. And they had this idea that they were up here and they needed to teach to people and that the difference in the world would be them teaching. The difference that everyone was hoping for, the salvation was from God, it was from this Savior, but it was also from them teaching. I, at one time, one of my kids came back from school and asked, how, how'd your day go? And they said, well, it was, you know, okay, not very good. Well, what, what happened? And then they just looked at me and said, I just got taught at all day. <laughs> I just thought, that's a pretty, well, that makes sense. In their mind is all they did was just sit there and have someone teach at them all day. You know, my mom is a retired kindergarten teacher. And uh, I mean, you would think that in kindergarten, you kind of just need to be taught at all day to be able to learn. And that that's what's going to change things, being taught at all day. You know, my mom, even though she's retired and older, she still has kids that she taught in kindergarten that she's still friends with and she still talks to on a regular occasion. And they have kids. I, I even think I remember her saying that some of them are grandparents now. She's kept track with as many as she could. In other words, for her, the job wasn't just teaching at someone and then going home. That's what the Pharisees did. They just taught at and then they went home. They weren't willing to entertain that, that there might be something that they get out of it. They couldn't entertain that they might be wrong. They had themselves up on a pedestal. And when you're up on a pedestal, you just think the only thing that matters is teaching at people and going home. But that's not what God does. God's not just teaching at us and going home. That's what receiving the Holy Spirit means. Jesus didn't just teach at us, and then we kill him, and then God raises him from the dead, and then he remains, and he walks with us. That's God persevering to be with us, even though we're killing him. In spite of how bad we are, as bad as we could get, killing Jesus, Jesus perseveres, and because of his piety, God raises him from the dead so that he is with us, still face to face, as someone who speaks to a friend. And when he does go up to heaven, the, he promises that it, we won't just be left here. It's not just him going home. He says, I'm going to bring you home with me. But until that day, when I bring you home with me, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a home for us. 
not for me, for us. I'm going to go prepare a place for us to be. And while I'm preparing that, I'm going to come down. The Holy Spirit is about God coming down and again, persevering and saying, I am with you. I'm in you in your, the closest way that I could possibly be with you. God's not teaching at us and going home. God's saying, I want to be in your life, and I'm going to be here until you let me in. You receive me into your heart. And it's the believing, believing what? That we need a Savior. Why do we need a Savior? Because we're all messed up and we're never going to get anywhere. Nothing is going to change based on who decides what's right and who doesn't and us going out and us trying to do it. We keep holding out hope that that's going to change something. That's never changed anything. What we need is a Savior, not a Savior from this person or that person. We need a Savior that's going to come down from heaven and save us. Our, the degree to which we're messed up is that grave, that there's zero hope in any kind of salvation outside of God coming down and just saving us, even though we're doing our best to kill him. That's life-changing. It's not just life-changing because it changes our philosophy. <laughs> it does that. But it's life-changing because God's saying, I'm going to come down and be with you, and nothing is going to be able to separate us. If I'm saving you, even though you're trying to kill me, and I'm promising you ahead of time, even though I know you're trying to kill me and you're going to kill me, I'm still telling you I want to be with you. And I'm going to be with you, and I will give you the Holy Spirit, and I will prepare a place for you for all of eternity. I understand you're trying to kill me. I understand that you're going to kill me. <laughs> But this is what I desire. This is what God's desire is. And this is what God is going to make happen. And our security then is not in us saving ourselves, not in us being right or wrong. There is no hope in that. There is only hope in God's heart, God's demeanor. And it is all it takes is just listen to what he's saying as we read through the Bible. See if that isn't the case of what God is saying. And if we don't understand, go to God, ask God. I need this to be made clear to me. And don't rely on whatever, just rely on you and God face to face, a conversation between friends. Go to God, go to the source and ask him, what's going on here? I, I don't understand. That's what Nicodemus did. And, and, and over time, Nicodemus came to understand. But the reason why it takes some time is because we've got to let go of some things. We've got to start taking ourselves off this pedestal and thinking that we can just teach it, everyone. We've got to stop. We need to admit that we're messed up, that we're wrong, so that we can start listening to what God has to say, so that we can start understanding what God has said. But the hope isn't for this life. The hope is a perseverance. But however we fail or whatever, we're go 
we're not going to be able to just hold to this in this life. We're, we're going to mess up. We're going to end up following other things, but God is always going to bring us back to this. And God is that source. And he's going to bring us up into a place that he's preparing for us. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for this promise that you'll be with us, that you'll take care of us, that you'll save us. And even when we mess up, that promise is there. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we receive the Holy Spirit. And we receive you in our life. And we thank you for not leaving us here, but staying with us until you bring us home. Lord, we ask forgiveness for all of our sins. We believe in you. And please give us the Holy Spirit on that basis. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.